This morning does mark the first Sunday in the Lenten season of the church. And so during this time period, we're going to be making our way through excerpts of gospel, the Gospel of Mark. If you brought a Bible or have a Bible there in the pew in front of you, you may want to open to the beginning of Mark chapter 1. We're going to be considering the voices of the Gospel as they speak to us through that, that particular Gospel of Mark. We moved back to, well, for the first time to the state of Vermont, back to the United States about not quite three and a half years ago. And before that, many of our journeys were by plane and, and over long distances. But since we've moved here, we've made a point for most of our trips to be by car to sort of explore regions of New England, parts of Canada that we had never seen before. And those trips have been enjoyable, but if you've ever been in a minivan with three little kids, you know you need strategies for those long car trips. And so one of the the best and uh, most useful strategies we've come across is to make sure before you leave home that you find a good audiobook that the kids like to listen to. You download it to your phone. The second part of that strategy is to pack one of these things near the front of the minivan. And the way this, this little thing works is one end of it goes into the cigarette lighter and the other one goes into the headphone jack on your phone. And it takes whatever your phone is playing, in our case this audiobook, and it converts it into an FM radio frequency that you can tune into your car stereo so that the whole family can listen in. Now this is paid, paid uh, for itself many times over. I think it was 10 bucks on Amazon, delivered. And it usually works great at the beginning of a trip. You plug it in, you get the story going, and you drive for, for about an hour or two with no real problems. But as you drive you know, a, a fair distance, you enter new, new regions which means new radio frequencies, new radio stations. And the result is that whatever station you're listening to this on starts to cut in and cut out. You start to notice some static. And then as you drive further, usually one of these new stations sort of just swallows up your ability to listen to the story. At that point, you have one of two choices. Right? Either you turn the radio off in frustration, you just give up for a while, Or you can use this piece in the middle. It's not lit up here, but it has a a digital frequency adjuster. And so you can make the dial, you know, sort of jump to a quieter frequency. And it takes a bit of practice to, to do this. But most of the time, after you find another station, the story comes right back with crispness and clarity. And it continues to keep you company through the rest of that long car journey. Every spring, the church has also set out on a kind of journey. Throughout much of church history, this this journey beginning around now, just as the weather is shifting from winter into spring, is a journey that begins in the Judean desert. It winds through the towns and villages of Galilee... And then it takes a sharp turn toward Jerusalem and then up to the hill of Calvary 
before finally and spectacularly concluding before an empty tomb. Over its long history, the church has described that six-week journey as Lent. And along, along the way, we have been given as a companion, as, as a guide, this collection of texts, this collection of scripture to guide us. We've been given the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the Gospels are meant for us to read in every season, right? whatever we find ourselves going through, not just in these few weeks of Lent. But I think for most of us who've set out following the person of Jesus, we discover that from time to time that the voice of the gospel, the freshness of that gospel, can be interrupted by periods of static. Right? When, when the clarity of what the gospel says about who we are and about who Christ is and about the world in which we live, that, that clarity starts to cut in and cut out. And eventually it can even be altogether drowned out by a cacophony of other voices. And so I'd like to think about these next six weeks, this season of Lent within the church, not as an invitation to change the story we're listening to, but to change the frequency on which we're listening to it, on which we're receiving it. To move the gospel of Jesus Christ to a space in our lives where we can give it the clarity and the attention that it deserves. And in order to help us do that, we are selecting one gospel to sort of be our guide, to, to eavesdrop on the voices that we hear proclaiming who Jesus is and what it means to follow him in it. And so we're choosing to follow the account of John Mark, the gospel of Mark. My hope is that during this next several weeks, you will open that, that text of scripture, you will spend time in it, and you will allow it to tune your heart to the sound, to the challenge, to the invitation, to a life of discipleship that Jesus communicates here in Mark's gospel. If you would open with me then to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to look at the first 13 verses of this gospel this morning. Let me pray for us as we do that. Jesus, we thank you that these words are a proclamation of good news. News that is better than we often have faith to believe. News that your kingdom has coming, has come, is coming has power to transform everything in this world. And it's the power of your gospel, the power of your cross, the power of your resurrection at work within us. Lord, as we hear these words, may the meditations of our hearts, may the words of my mouth as I teach be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare 
the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. This is the beginning of the gospel, Mark says. Most historians, most New Testament scholars now believe that Mark was the first gospel writer. The first person in the the early life of the church to sort of comprehensively gather up an account of Jesus' life. And so he had the challenge of figuring out how to begin telling that story. Right? How do you describe all that Jesus says, all that Jesus did, all that Jesus is? It would require, it seems, an entirely new genre of literature. And so, in fact, that is essentially what Mark does. He pioneers a new way of writing. Pioneers the genre of the gospel. And as he does that, he says in verse 1, This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Mark says, I have a proclamation, I have an account, a message of great urgency for you to hear about the life and the victory and the identity of one who is Israel's Messiah and who is the Son of God. That is one heck of an opening line to draw in the reader. But as soon as Mark has our attention in verse 1, he doesn't, he doesn't take us immediately to this person of Jesus he wants us to know about. He doesn't take us into the current events of the first century when he's writing. Instead, immediately Mark turns his attention to something much older. He points us to the scriptures of Israel themselves. And he asks us to pay attention to what they have been saying from time long ago. And here in verses 2 and 3, Mark remixes. He he actually takes not one but two Old Testament texts. And he sort of transforms them into one stunning declaration. And the idea behind verses 2 and 3 is that God is coming. God is returning. Something big is about to happen among the people of God. And the two passages that he selects are from Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 40. And also from the prophet Malachi, chapter 3. And these are words written to Israel at a time when they were either literally in exile, living far away outside the promised land, in Isaiah's case, or or anticipating, still waiting for a, a fullness of return... ...for a fullness of restoration. For God to to come in the fullness of his presence... ...and and restore his holiness to Israel. And so they they describe a time in Israel's history... ...when the world in which they lived... ...the spiritual climate in which they lived... ...felt like a wasteland... ...like a wilderness... ...like a desert. But Isaiah's conviction is that it is in the place of exile. It is in the place of spiritual wilderness and desolation that we first hear the voice of the gospel. We first hear its good news. We hear it saying, prepare, make ready 
a way for the Lord. Make straight paths through the desert wilderness. Or in the case of Malachi, make ready for the Lord and his return. The presence of God to come back to his people. Before we can understand, Mark says, the gospel of Jesus Christ, why it is good news, we have to be connected back to a bigger story, an older story. One of failure and redemption and restoration. We need to step back into Israel's story. And so as we go through this season of Lent, let me suggest a few practices that might help guide us to to hear the gospel more clearly. And the first is to give Scripture a pride of place in this season. To, To give our attention to hear the Word of God and what it says and what it's proclaiming. Whether that's 15 or 20 minutes or whether you have a longer block, to to make a habit in this season of really attending to Scripture, hearing it, letting it speak. Letting it enter your mind and your heart. As we do that, we we step into, we we become part of this, this bigger story of the gospel, the good news of God's return to his people. To show us what it it means to to hear the scriptures and then to step into them, Mark takes us next, not just to the prophets of old and and their voice in the wilderness, but he takes us to a contemporary of his day, another gospel voice in the wilderness. Takes us to hear the message and the proclamation of a man named John. Look with me at verses 4 through 8. And so... John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Again, he's tying this back to the verses we've just heard from Malachi and Isaiah. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Most of us, when we encounter the story of John the Baptist, appreciate that there's a kind of strangeness to his character. John's an unusual guy, and he is doing some unusual things. We might wonder, you know, why is he wearing camel's hair and and eating locusts? Why is he going out into the desert places? Why is he stepping into the Jordan River? Well, everything John does here makes a whole lot more sense if you know the story of Israel. And if you remember that that in Israel's history, there was a prophet named Elijah who wore camel's hair and ate locusts in the places of wilderness. If you remember that the story of God's people 
One of the defining moments was when they were led out of Egypt and on this long exodus journey through a place of wilderness and desert and desolation. Until eventually they were brought to the Jordan River. At which point God parted the waters of that river and they crossed into a land of promise. We have the wilderness, we have the Jordan River, we have the prophetic images of Israel's past. All sort of attached to John. Everything he does is is straight out of the story of Israel's past and history. And I think that's because John believes it's not just an old story. It's not just something that happened in the past. But he believes that the, the stories of God's power and deliverance and God's promise are not yet finished. He believes that that story is one that continues up and into the present moment. We may fail to appreciate how far John stands from from those events in history. There's probably 1,400 years that separated John from the, the ministry of Moses. There's probably 600 years that separated John and the ministry of Isaiah. But John believes, again, that those stories have relevance, have significance, that that they are, in fact, a story that God's people are meant to step into in that day. And so he goes out into a place of wilderness on purpose. And he invites the people of Israel to enter into the Jordan River on purpose. And as they do so, it's a kind of prayer. It's a kind of reenactment. It's, it's an invitation for God to do that thing all over again. To bring about a new exodus. To give them a shepherd that is greater than Moses. To ask God to return his presence and his holiness to the land. And return his people back into the power of his story. His redemptive power. Right? John is re-entering the story of our God. And as we step into this season of Lent, I think we are also invited to do something similar. Right? We're invited to believe that even though the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is now 2,000 years removed from us in history, that that gospel, those scriptures, that account of what God did still has Great relevance, great urgency, great importance to each and every one of us today. But we have to to hear its voice. We have to let it change us. We have to invite it to do something new within us. And I think the way that we step into that story and the power of the gospel is in part described by John in verse 4 where we're told that his baptism, his action, is one that is calling for repentance. Repentance is simply the idea of a transformation, a turning, a a 180 degree move back toward something we've left behind. Repentance is the act of choosing God's story over our own. Walking away from whatever story we've written in our own brokenness, in our own pride, in our own desire to will ourselves in a particular direction. Repentance is saying, I want to be plunged 
back into the story that God has written for, for me and for all humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to be made new by that power, by that spirit. Repentance isn't then something that just happens one time. Right? Repentance is not just the sinner's prayer that, that we pray at the beginning of our, our journey with Jesus. John demonstrates that, that repentance is a way of life. Repentance is a sustained desire to, to take every part of who we are and ask God to make it ready for him to do something new, for him to work his mercy, for him to work his justice, for him to work his salvation out through us. We re-enter the story God is telling in the gospel. When we do that, when we attend to the voice of Scripture, when we enter into it and believe it has something to say to us, when we allow it to begin to turn our hearts, then we find that God is speaking there. And in John's willingness to go out into the desert and to step back into Israel's story and to be at the Jordan River waiting for God to, to make good on his promise, he becomes privileged to hear another voice speaking and proclaiming the gospel in the wilderness. John hears the voice of God's own spirit. Look with me at verses 9 through 13. At that time... They're out in the wilderness. They're embracing this life of repentance and, and re-entering Israel's story. At that time, Jesus then came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Mark has already introduced us to two voices proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming God's story. Right? First, he introduced us to the Old Testament prophets. And he says, the gospel starts with what God was doing way back there. Then Mark takes us out into the wilderness to hear John's voice, the one of preparation, the one of repentance, the one of being made ready, turning our attention and, and our heart in confession back to God. And as all Israel comes out and is waiting and confessing and repenting with John... We're told suddenly that in verse 9, Jesus shows up. Jesus makes his way from Galilee all the way out into the wilderness. And this is the, the very first time we meet Jesus. The very first thing he does in the Gospel of Mark is to step into the waters of the Jordan River. And again, I think Jesus is now entering into Israel's story as well. I don't know about you, but if I am John the Baptist, if he has any inkling of, of who Jesus is or, or his prophetic status, he may be remembering the last time a prophet named Yeshua, or Joshua, stepped into the Jordan River with the people of God. 
right? Go back to the book of Joshua. Some pretty amazing stuff happens. Right? As the priests entered the Jordan and Joshua behind them, the waters of the Jordan River began to, to part. They began to pile up. And the nation of Israel was brought through that river and delivered into the land God had promised them. Right? They, they began to follow and to enter into the fullness of, of a life and a kingdom that God had prepared for them as a people. And so we get to verse 10 here in Mark's gospel. And it says, just as Jesus came up out of the water. Right, I'm wondering what's going to happen? Are the waters going to start to pile up? Is, Is the river going to part again? But what we find out is that when this Joshua, when this Yeshua, when this Jesus enters the Jordan River, it's not the waters that part, but the heavens themselves are torn back. And as they're torn into two, we're told that the Spirit of God's own presence descends. And it comes to rest upon Jesus. And that presence of the Spirit is accompanied by a voice. The voice of God the Father saying to Jesus, who has just entered into Israel's story in a new way, he says, Jesus, you are my son whom I love you, I am well pleased. I think this too is the voice of the gospel. This is the good news about who Jesus Christ is and will be. That he will be the faithful son, the faithful servant. That everything Israel has failed in, Jesus will be faithful in. And so the father can say of Jesus, you are one who is beloved. You are one in whom I take great delight. The incredible thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it says, even if we have only taken our very first steps of repentance, even if we have only just begun to turn ourselves and our story back over to God, that God now sees us as he sees his son. That what the Lord says over His child, Jesus, is is the identity that we are are stepping into, our in-Christness, as Paul said throughout Ephesians. From this point forward, the Christian life and and the power of the gospel is meant to tune our ears to this voice, the voice voice of, of our Father who loves us, the voice of a Father who in Jesus Christ is faithful to redeem and reclaim us. So Jesus goes into the Jordan. He receives the outpouring of God's spirit, this voice of who he is, the voice of his identity, his belovedness. And then we're told that the spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness, deeper into the wilderness. And he spends 40 days there. And, And again, there's a whole symbolic significance to why 40 days and why in the wilderness that we don't have time to dig into today. But we're told that it's a time of testing It's a time of refining. And I think it's a time as Jesus is hungry and as he fasts and as he is is presented with the temptations of the devil. In that place, Jesus is given the opportunity to come back again and again and again to his identity as the son of God. 
to come back to the hope he has, the certain truth of the gospel, that, that the Lord is faithful to redeem him and his identity is not in any of those spectacular things the devil would promise him. The season of Lent within the church has been intentionally mirrored and set against these 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness. And I think one other practice that we might take on in this season, approaching Easter, is to know what it is to to be hungry. To to long to hear the Spirit's voice more than we long to hear the, the desires of our flesh answered. So one of the ways we can do that is to intentionally choose the practice of fasting. Not because it earns us any merit or standing before the eyes of God, but simply because it can draw and and retrain our bodies and our minds and our wills to be hungry to know what the Spirit of God says, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And so this week, I'll send out an email through, through the church email with some resources and some ideas about what that could look like, and that's something that you could choose to enter into in this time. Together with the word of God, together with the practice of repentance, right? With the, with the goal being to hear the gospel more clearly. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at a variety of passages. And again, my prayer is that we would hear what Jesus says is truth and that we might respond and it might call us to it in a fresh way. Let me pray for us as we set out on that journey together. Jesus, you are the faithful one. You are the one that we have waited for. You are the one who has made all things ready so that all things might be made new. Lord, we confess that we need your newness. We need your power. We hunger and thirst to be called the beloved sons and daughters of God. So we need your death, your sacrifice, your resurrection, your spirit to redefine and reshape who we are. But would your gospel speak to us with new power in this day? In Jesus' name we pray.